welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, but not just any fantasy today. Oh. Because today, yes, we are talking about a brand new series. First time we're talking about one of um, this author's books. So um, a lot of exciting debuts today. Um, we are, of course, from the title, reading Promise of Blood, which is the first book in the Powder Mage trilogy by Brian McClellan. That's exactly what we're here to do. This was a book that I pitched to you, Charles. I pitched the entire series in our last Friends Pitching mm -hmm. Fantasy. Uh, you selected this book of the three great options I gave you. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I've read this series before. It's a reread, but it was a long time ago now. It was back in the distant year of, I think, 2017 that I read this series. So it it feels pretty new to me, even though like I definitely forgot a lot of the details. I do remember <laughs> a lot of the overarching There stuff. are a lot of details in this book, so I can understand yeah. that. Yeah. I don't know if in if in 2029 you'll be able to remember all of the intricacies, Charles, but today I expect you to remember all of the intricacies because you've just read this for the first time. I'm ready. I'm ready to have this conversation. You know, I was excited. This one has been in like the fringes of my TBR pretty much since it came out in 2013. You know, we're all... It, it very commonly comes up as like recommendations for Sanderson because... Um, McClellan met Sanderson in a creative writing class at Brigham Young University. So there is a little bit of that. One like taught by Sanderson. <laughs> yes, yes. Met and was taught by, you yeah. know. So yeah, there's a lot of exciting um, influence there. And everyone always has positive things to say about this book and the premise. It's like, you know, people snort gunpowder and that gives them magic powers. It's like, okay, sold interesting yet for some reason i always just kind of kept it on the fringes so when you pitched it i knew i had to say yes let's do this and i am you know super excited to talk about it today yeah it's definitely the kind of book that is it's it's almost easier to leave on the fringes because it's like oh yeah like this is great for fans of brandon sanderson and it's like well fans of brandon sanderson have to stay on top of all of the books that Brandon Sanderson is constantly getting out there. So it's almost like a, being mm -hmm. a fan of Brandon Sanderson. It's like a full-time job. You got to keep reading all the Sanderson books. And then like poor Brian McClellan can uh, get <laughs> just pushed to the fringes of, of those TBRs. But uh, of course, this series has received its own fan base and has quite a bit of popularity uh, on its own and and brian mcclellan has gone on to to write a lot more and a lot more in this universe so he's he's doing all right and now he's got one more reader under his belt in you charles and i'm so excited true. i 
yeah, we'll we'll have to get into the spoiler section soon. But I guess uh, before we get there, let's uh, let's hear from you, Charles, on your your overall spoiler free impressions, having read this for the first time. Overall spoiler free impressions, I'd say it was uh, it was great. You know, it, it takes a lot of stuff that I particularly like about fantasy, you know, like the Mistborns of the world, like the Abercrombie chapter presentations, like where it's very ingrained in a character who has a strong voice and and like heavy on the hard magic systems and the political factions and the battles um it, it it's all there so it definitely delivered on its promise of like from the school of sanderson it's promise with a bit blood. more it's promise it of blood and it's promise of like a grittier uh sanderson experience you know it's just kind of like how i would describe Describe it in the very simplest of terms but brian mcclellan definitely has his own style he definitely um has his own voice and it was really fun to finally get that under the tbr uh so yeah i'm looking forward to getting into it all the all the action and the balance of hard and soft magic which you kind of alluded to in uh your pitch in friends pitching fantasy it was you know very interesting as well and kind of unique honestly for me so um lots to get into there but yeah it was very good and i'd recommend to any fan of sanderson or abercrombie or um you know brent weeks it's he's a natural fit right at home with all those guys for sure i definitely like the clash between like a direct clash between the folks who use hard magic and the folks who use the soft magic being mm -hmm. the powder mages and the privileged respectively. And I think while there are other books you can think of that have both hard and soft magic in them, like there's not as clear tension between the two usually. And they're not usually just like straight up fighting and they're respective strengths and weaknesses going up against right. them so it's cool from the being a fantasy fan from the more meta aspect of that like hard magic versus soft magic who will win <laughs> although you know right. there's some people at least uh yeah there's at least some people who don't fall entirely in line with uh, most of the other people of their uh, style of magic but we'll get into that more in the spoiler section I'll say it's also, it feels very return to form for us as friends talking fantasy to yes. be getting back into this. It's like, it's new and it's fresh, especially because of the Flintlock fantasy element of mm -hmm. it. We haven't really read any Flintlock before, but just in the, you said in the style of Brandon Sanderson, but a little bit grittier and maybe shades of of Abercrombie in, in that more a little more grim, dark leaning sense. It's like this is just good old fashioned, like epic fantasy. Not quite questing epic fantasy. Not quite like high fantasy, but just like in terms of the just we've got gods, we've got uh, giant battles, we've got magic, we've got it's all those kind of things that drew us initially into the genre when we read Game of Thrones, right? Those are the kind of things that uh, really, for me, catalyzed my interest in like adult fantasy is uh, all the kind of things that are 
are present in this book. So it's exciting to to get back into it because we've been reading stuff of all different um, mm-hmm. like subgenres in fantasy. And it's awesome that there's such a wide array. But this is kind of our bread and butter here, Charles. Oh, so yeah, bread and for butter sure. And is, it, was, it was funny. You had yeah. mentioned on right before we recorded, you're like, we need more books like this. And I was kind of like, yeah, we do. And then maybe we just need to read more books like this because it's fun to go back to what you describe as this bread and butter for us of these wonderful grim, dark Renaissance fantasy books. And this one is considerable later you know to uh, 2013 um so that's why we can get a little bit of that meta old school new school clash and it was just fun you know it felt right in the vein of like our sweet spot of what we uniquely enjoy in fantasy you know so i i i agree yeah all right well let's talk about all the things that we uniquely enjoyed about this book in greater detail which means that I'm going to have to give my spoiler warning here. And basically, that means if you haven't yet read the first book of the Powder Mage trilogy, that's Promise of Blood, what we're here to discuss today, and you don't want anything spoiled for you, now is a good time to turn this down in your headphones and go read the book, come back here, and don't you worry if you've only read Promise of Blood, because... Charles hasn't even read the second or third book yet, and uh, we will I not sure be haven't. spoiling anything from the second or third book. I bear, I don't remember enough to even spoil too much, except a few very broad points that I won't bring up. So, <laughs> you are safe here, people who have just read Promise of Blood, and we're excited to go into this deep dive for real now. For real, indeed. And here we are in our book discussion of The Promise of Blood. Uh, There's really like four main POVs. I think there's only four POVs. I'm trying to remember if there's another one. Um, And main might be generous for one of them. (laughs) Main might be generous (laughs) for our our poor uh, lady, uh, Nyla. But um, there are four. And... It always is kind of interesting to me because the one thing I knew about the two things I knew about this book were like, oh, this guy came up from the school of Sanderson and and it's very like kind of greedy with your snorting of gunpowder and this and that. And that wasn't as in the forefront as I thought. The magic system is actually much more like complex and and varied than that because you have all these different kinds of like levels of magic and different kinds of creatures and then and different political factions I, I think the thing that surprised me the most was like how detailed and in depth this whole world was and there's kind of like two or three or four magic systems going on at the same time and, and it yeah. and it, it kind of builds on itself yeah it definitely does i think that it's yeah, it's not surprising that McClellan has had a lot that he's been able to flesh out in this world, even more than just the the Powder Mage trilogy. There's uh, yeah, a whole nother trilogy, Gods of Blood and Powder. This is a fully fleshed out world in the vein of A. Sanderson, in the vein of uh, George R. R. Martin. And I guess mm-hmm. it can be pitched, or, or perhaps was pitched by me, more <laughs> along the lines of, like, this 
action-packed thing with the guns and the snorting and all that. But mm-hmm. I will say it, yeah, it's this one sets the stage to some extent early on. I guess there's more political intrigue and more mystery, and especially in terms of uh, like Adamat kind of represents the mystery side of all of this as he's the inspector, the like private investigator who is trying to figure everything out. And I think that we, yeah, we get a lot more politicking than perhaps this is uh, thought as by a lot of people. But the first book, while I still think it does have a lot of action, some of it is definitely setting the stage. And there's a reason that I pitched the entire series to you, Charles, because Mm -hmm. uh, for folks who have read this whole book i would say it's it's not cliffhanger ending but i would say there's so much that is like just built toward and hasn't paid off yet by the end of this it seems like this whole it's only just beginning kind of thing like there's way more to uncover um one of the last things in the epilogue was like i'm gonna confront kresimir and i will teach him justice you know something like that and you're like okay well that's gonna be a whole adventure it sounds like so (laughs) for sure for sure you can tell that there's a lot more to go on even beyond just like the different levels of the magic system it's the different levels of how they all relate to each other because there's some kind of bit of lost knowledge that i always kind of enjoy in fantasy of oh man what happened to kresimir what's kresimir's promise and we've kind of lost our way a little bit in in un- remembering our history and our and our ways of life and like even though the monarchy was kind of nearing the end of its life anyway in terms of being like a servant to the public it's like by just recklessly putting them all to the guillotine you've now just started a whole bunch of stuff that you have no idea what you got into and in terms of like gods and religion you know it's always fun when it's like well the it's like i want to represent the people the monarch is crushing the little guy so out with the monarch it's like okay but now you know there's all of these uh privileged and and gods and things out of the woodwork that are coming out that that you've that you've started and what I like about uh, Field Marshal Field Marshal Tennis is he knows what he doesn't know, kind of, and that's what I like about him as a character. He knows that, like, okay, this there might be something serious about this Cresimir's promise thing. Like, magic is real, and it is weird that everyone said that before they died. So uh, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna send uh, an investigator on the case, you know. So there is a little bit of that happening, and there is the setup and payoffs going on throughout this so i don't know it, it it just worked for me and you did allude to it a little bit in your pitch Dylan. you were fair in saying that there was some old school new school you were alluding to the bigger world out there um but it, it was nice to experience and i think there's going to be a lot to get into i mean you know because you finished this trilogy once before but i i can tell there's a lot more to to happen in in book two for sure the crimson for campaign sure. Mm. Well, you mentioned, Charles, the idea of all the sorcerers. Basically, there's this royal cabal of sorcerers mm-hmm. that uh, work for the king. And they, you know, anytime that a 
group of sorcerers all cryptically whisper the same thing as <laughs> as they die you, you do probably <laughs> want to pay attention to that and and like you said Tamas he's he's a very practical guy very pragmatic and uh, at at times brutal but it seems like he is uh probably well-meaning and why he's doing the things that he's doing and then other mm-hmm. aspects he just like is like so i i would say he's machiavellian in his approach to things like uh, we've got this this quote on one end like uh where adamat which like epic beginning by the way like adamat's just like uh, walking through in the like dead of night and super mm-hmm. quiet in the like uh, is it like a palace or or what have you and he's uh, like oh the skyline palace yeah and he's like uh, oh something is not right here and then it's just like <laughs> tamas basically like uh, sitting on a throne of skulls figuratively and he's <laughs> like uh, but tamas says when asked why he did it, he's like I did this for me and I did this for Adro. So that man that's a king wouldn't sign us all into slavery to the Kez with the Accords. I did it because those grumbling students of philosophy at the university only play at rebellion. The age of Kings is dead, Adamat. And I have killed it, which by the way, awesome line. And Great line. we've got, yeah. So we've got this, like Temis is a really interesting character in terms of his motivation i would say where Mm -hmm. he has this background with the kez having killed his wife and uh, he also like has served as a pretty loyal you know soldier and eventually field marshal to the king Mm -hmm. and he has seen the ways in which like this this has become bloated like the monarchy has become right, bloated right. it's not good for the people so it's like he's, he's always and... kind of yeah he's always kind of balancing and i'm not sure if he knows exactly to what extent each of those are motivators for him like how much is he actually like yeah i'm doing this for the greater good and how much of it is just like i freaking hate the kez and like <laughs> i will kill everyone and leave <laughs> their blood in my wake if it means that the Kez don't get to own Adro and I can fight them. Uh, I find right. that interesting. And of course, this is a guy who toward the, you know, I mentioned, I think he's Machiavellian, like toward the end of his goals, if he sees that his son's best friend is going to be a problem down the line, like potentially going to try to kill him, then he has no problem ordering his own son to go kill the best friend that he grew up with. Like that's the way that he sees the world. Uh, And it's kind of, you know, he's a complex character. Like he's arguably, I I would say is our main protagonist and he's, we love the buzzwords, uh, morally gray. Uh, Hmm. It's like, uh, he's, he kind of epitomizes that like morally gray protagonist that followed in the like grim dark revolutions. Wake. Right. Right. And uh, it's interesting with um, Field Marshal Tannis here because he he's what Brian McClellan does really well with Tannis is 
he's kind of walking the edge of hypocrisy and he never, in my opinion, crosses it. Like there's a lot of nobility about what he does and what he's about. He's got good cause. His wife died. Right. So that's a great motivator. And he's always been proactive and respected even by his enemies in the beginning of the book I showed respect for him. And even these like top tier privileged show respect for him. So he in that case commands a lot of respect too so he seems like a natural leader and then of course the monarchy he's overthrowing is inadequate and kind of complacent and like you said kind of stagnant and and um atrophied a little bit so they were ousted out uh, but it's kind of couched in this this in these more detailed character moments with Temis, where he sends people to their deaths or he makes those brutal decisions and even his quasi estranged like distant relationship with his with his son Tanny you know so when those things come together it, it's a really interesting blend because he can't quite connect with Tanya. He keeps sending him off on suicide missions or tell him to kill his best friend and and even though Tanya is by all accounts like a soldier worthy of praise and respect it's Thomas can't like is is just holding back a little bit with his son and his personal connection so to have that unique blend is what makes um Lord Marshal Tannis my 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 uh one of my favorite characters probably my favorite character of the POV characters for sure yeah I would say he's my favorite character in the sense of being the most interesting character mm -hmm. in terms of like the most likable I, and i would say that mcclellan he's willing to give each of his characters flaws and make them all unlikable in certain ways and likable in others uh tamas probably the least likable of the four point of view characters in terms of just you know what what he would be like as a person and what you think of him but uh, yeah i would say he's the most most complex the most interesting the most proactive and really the driver of the plot which is why i would say he's he is the main protagonist of our our four right for sure for sure and, and there's just so much more complexity going on with him he takes so much of this first story as well that he just kind of runs the show a little bit. But um, I, I was impressed with the opening with Adamat, like you said, like yeah. great opening, like the characters, very interesting, not quite a Glock to type, but, but um, an interesting blend and like the kind of gritty underworld that he finds himself in kind of is a nice departure from the rest of the stories. And, I don't know, I, like those kind of clever characters who can always puzzle things out and 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 figure people out. They're always fun to read too. It's like, oh man, I miss these kind of characters. I haven't had one of these in a long time. Just <laughs> nice. It definitely feels like part of the genre, you know. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it's like there's sort of Tyrion, and obviously yeah. he's oh, like yeah. different, like he's a noble and all that kind of stuff in Game of Thrones, but there's like Tyrion and Glockta, and they're these like really smart, clever, inquisitive 
people and then mm-hmm. Adamat falls in that in that sort of realm of the character he's not as i guess witty in how he expresses his right and there's no like skills. unpleasant side to his to his either physical appearance or character you know he is like right. a family man and he is like a pretty decent dude he, he never does anything like morally questionable in the book he unless it's to someone not. who's bad <laughs> yeah i mean you start messing with his family he he certainly mm-hmm. has a temper and he'd be willing to kill people who i was impressed by that work. moment where it's like the finger in the box is like okay they're like they're playing uh, yeah. for real i didn't think we would go there with like mutilating the implication of mutilating, mutilating children. children but we went there and i was like okay and he was like oh next like next if you kill me next you're going to get a new guy coming with a bigger box and there's gonna be your daughter's head in there and it's like oh jeez <laughs> like this I know. is messed up like prime <laughs> is willing to go there and i think like those are the moments that feel grittier than than something Sanderson might do. Although I'm sure we could find examples of Sanderson doing stuff pretty much that like that dark. But it's uh, I don't know child mutilation. The children I I found rare. that many I mean, he's Sanderson had implied books. violence with like blood yeah. all over the room and like. Um, sexual assault and all of that but i i, I don't know uh, and even There's this something wasn't about like particularly your violent own, yeah. but the the man's daughter who is a character we've never really like we met briefly i think in the beginning when he's yeah. packing the family up and like telling them to leave town um but beyond that it's like not really a character we know but still just the implied just like the little bit of violence placed like really effectively um definitely had a strong reaction compared to if it was just you know blood everywhere kind of thing so i i appreciated that from mcclellan i was like sometimes authors th- threaten to do stuff and then oh, never follow through on the stakes and you think adamant is clever enough that he could keep his family unharmed but not the case not the case yeah and it raises the stakes of course i've always liked uh i've always liked when you're in the point of view of a character who is stuck between two forces that are way more powerful than him. (laughs) And he's like, I basically have to betray one or both of these forces. And it's going to be really bad either way. And And it doesn't even matter like which one he likes or doesn't like or stands for or doesn't stand for. It's like these two guys are just at odds and you're caught in the middle, dude. Right. And they always seem like... A lot of these good fantasy novels will do that with the character that's like considered probably the most like clever character in the book. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's it's handled well here. He's definitely between a rock and a hard place, but uh, Adamat, you know, a smart guy and a guy who does uh, by the end, I would say he's siding with his principles and trying to do the right thing. So I would say he's kind of the most likable of the three characters and the easiest to rally behind what he's dealing with for sure and and 
I'm going to jump around a bit because I think we're just talking about characters. So I'm just going to talk yeah. about a bunch of random ones. But I, I said Field Marshal Tannis is my be my favorite. But there's another character that continually stole the show for me. And that's hmm. Mahali. I, ah, yes. I'm yes. a big fan. And I really appreciated Brian McClellan's like attention to detail on cooking and food which is so <laughs> underserved in fantasy a lot of times you know it's just like lord of the rings like oh we'll eat lambus bread and we don't have to worry about food ever again and like in this book it's like no food fuels the army and he's actually winning over people by just being a good cook and like all the different Chef dishes charles how dare you hmm? you said cook oh he's no, a he's chef He's, he I'm saying <laughs> he like cooks the food, thing. but I'm not calling yes, him. Yes, but cook. there's like the multiple chef. you called him a cook, Charles. And that, <laughs> that if he if he made one thing clear in this book, <laughs> it's that he's a chef and not a cook. And I I'm offended uh, for Mihal, who who unfortunately can't be here because he's fictional. And <laughs> I hey, he's yeah, omnipresent, I say, man. He's a he's a god. <laughs> that's true. He he is Adam reborn, but he uh, Brian McClellan is really into cooking. That's that's a thing, and I could post, tell. He, yeah, he posts about that a lot on social media. So I think that it's uh, his his love for cooking is shining through in Mihaly. And as someone else who really um, likes to cook. I and watches a lot of cooking stuff on YouTube. <laughs> I can I can appreciate um the attention to the detail on that and the focus on food as uh as kind of the the device in which he kind of has this Jesus like character, you know, it's almost like he turns the, you know, he makes more fish and then turns the water to wine. He's like doing all this, this, you know, Jesus y stuff. And, uh, but he's got this jovial, you know, he's got women around him all the time. He's like laughs and makes jokes and, and, uh, yeah, he's just a fun, funny little, funny little character who ended up taking a much, bigger role at the end so we'll see how that goes and that's part of this bigger story of these gods and and how they play a part in in the politics here but yeah i just wanted to make sure that we we gave mahali a shout out and then the other character we didn't really Charles, talk too much I about speak oh, yeah, to, yeah, yeah. before before you get off the topic you did mention that you too have a passion for cooking we can't get out of this without discussing the fact that both Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis have eaten meals uh, provided by you. Is is that not true? That is true. Yes. When I was uh, but a lowly fry cook and I was actually a cook, not a chef. And I'll never mm. be a chef. Not never not good enough for that. But I was a cook at a at a, a place that made hot dogs in New Orleans. And uh, yeah, they. They showed up one day, Aston Kushner, Mila Kunis, and um, I was working the grill at the time, so I cooked their food for them, and it was uh, my crowning achievement in cooking, and uh, right. um, that's that was kind of the peak for me, but yeah. You felt like a god, even if you weren't quite a god like me, Holly. I mean, like I pretty much... 
I, I felt very powerful in that moment. I was like, wow, look at me feeding the stars. You know, they have to eat too and they <laughs> want to eat good food. So it is what it is. Um, I'm, I'm just glad that I didn't know. I knew they were there, but I didn't know that they had already ordered. You know, I'm just glad that at the time I was cooking their you food, know, I like didn't know I was cooking there. their, I didn't know it was their ticket, you know, yeah. like there's the line of orders and you're cooking them through. You didn't see and like, I'm like oh, let me know as the I, ticket. No, I knew they down. had ordered. I knew they were there. And I was like, oh, let me know, like, when their order comes through. And then they're like, dude, <laughs> they're eating right now. Attention. And I was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully that was good. <laughs> I don't know. Borderline uh, fast food joint. You can't really mess it up too much. But you could serve them a raw, you know, raw hot dog or sausage or whatever. It's certainly possible. But And you didn't do that. I guess not. They didn't send it back. So that's just the influence that uh, that uh, someone who cooks uh, that a chef can have over the highest levels of society, you know, and, and Brian McClellan saw that kind of potential and put it in his character, Mihaly, this God character, mm -hmm. Adam reborn, you know, so I got a big kick out of no that because I, too, have have touched greatness yeah. and, and touched godlyhood. So in the uh, kitchen in the kitchen and <laughs> and they were beautiful in real life just for, <laughs> just so people know it's like they Ashton are like yeah they were both <laughs> very good looking like they looked like movie stars you know irl so <laughs> so you saw there was like a glow about them and you're like whoa like yeah yeah i guess they're, sure. they're next to such beautiful people all the time in hollywood that it's like it must be shocking to just see them amongst us normies i know amongst the normies and new <laughs> i was just standing like... right next to them and charles was like wow they really are beautiful <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, I really am realizing now how good looking they are yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i was not there for the for the record i uh, know but you Charles did hold there. up a picture of me on his phone for comparison when he was trying to determine <laughs> how beautiful they were compared yeah to it's like yeah i remember what common man like, whoa <laughs> yeah very uh, good looking uh, but um of course they're on tv all the time and movies and stuff so they got that hollywood magic about them but uh, it's just just funny. Some people have that. That's speaking power. of magic, Charles. Mm. Let's get <laughs> you like that. Like that I do like that. Uh, let's get into one of the powder mages, uh, Taniel, who we haven't talked really about. Taniel two shot. Boom boom. Taniel. Taniel two shot. And I that's something that I do really like about the way that Brian McClellan writes his magic systems as well just give certain characters like quirks of what they can do that most other people can't do even though they're all great powder mages and it's like Daniel's thing is basically he can like shoot off and bend two bullets at the same time and that's that's pretty cool and you get an awesome nickname when you're able to do something like that. Vlora on the other hand who is mostly present as someone that other people think about i feel like but uh, yeah Daniel's uh, former fiance uh, vlora can apparently explode uh, gunpowder from really far away so that's like her special power but mm -hmm. uh, I, I do like that rather than just like uh, you know everyone can it's kind of interesting that they all have like x-men-esque 
flares to their ability so it's hard magic but also you get that diversity of interesting stuff happening depending on who's in the room you know because right. like they all have different strengths and it kind of goes back to was it the knacked that have different skills like the guy that just doesn't sleep so he's the bodyguard yeah. you know like it's <laughs> it adds to some fascinating little spice mm, much like mihali working in that kitchen oh, yes and i think that it's yeah, it's interesting. And it remains hard magic because, well, we know that Daniel can do this with two shots and we know that Flora can do this from farther away than other people. And it's, you know, for any folks who've been talking about hard versus soft magic systems without ever explaining it to this point in the episode, but pretty simply hard magic, you know, the rules and magic is a tool in the toolkit of the characters wielding it and soft magic is more mysterious and it's, uh, you know, like the privilege, you don't exactly like you have a vague idea like, Oh, they can like shoot fireballs and stuff, but then randomly one will just like turn into a, lion or whatever <laughs> were they calling them like cave lions or whatever uh um, right either way you know you know the one uh she just start turning into the lion and like all right i guess that happens now and yeah julene uh, right and but then she yeah. ended up being like a super privileged <laughs> yeah uh, uh, again or, yeah i believe is the word something mm-hmm. like that. i can find it but it's yeah they're kind of they're just privileged that apparently magic has kind of been draining from the world. That's like very yeah, typical pray fantasy D, trope. P-R-E-D-E-I-I. Right? Yeah. So they're just privileged, but they're so old and from so long ago that they are from back when privileged were way more powerful than they are now. So they call them or what have you right and right. ancient even, I mean, cast even of the privileged, gods they basically to toward, and disease yeah toward the end we basically find out that even the gods like even kresimir was just a preposterously strong privileged or at least that's mm-hmm. uh, uh you know that's what's implied toward the end it's it's interesting it's interesting to think of it okay yeah it's cave line sorry i'm just finally found that uh mm. anyway Daniel, shall we shall we talk Daniel here because uh, yeah. he's uh, he's the one who fits a little bit more into the tropes of what we're used to from a fantasy protagonist i would say yeah like old for sure fantasy right he's like the relatively young prodigy man who can use magic in a way that very few can, but he's got daddy issues. And I mean, uh, you, you need a few daddy <laughs> issues <laughs> to fuel a story, don't you? Charles? And he's got lady problems. Oh, yeah. Lady problems is a big one as well. <laughs> he's got daddy like, issues. He's got lady problems. Like, <laughs> yeah, lady problems seem to be a, a common theme in in McClellan's book not the not the strongest uh female representation in this book I'll say I think it's Mm. I I imagine that this is something that in his later writing he's probably uh, worked in more but we get uh, we get like we said one point of view from a woman uh, but she's hardly got any chapters in this one and like her story basically starts out with her getting like 
saved by a man when other men were trying to rape her, like Olam mm-hmm. saves her. And uh, then her whole yeah, thing is save, like, saving a, ch- a child, the mother right. aspect of that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and then it's like all the other, it's like then there's the like women in refrigerators trope, basically a uh, woman's like entire purpose being motivation for a male character and that's like pretty common this too it's like uh, we've got Thomas's wife getting killed mm. you know before the book even started it's just like uh, now i have motivation and so there's like elements of that for sure in here i think and there's like a a general lack of agency that it feels like the women have at times i would say like like even flora it's like we keep hearing about flora and she's capable of all these things and she has this dark past with uh what she did to uh, to daniel but it's kind of just like she doesn't really have much of a presence when she is on screen we definitely don't get her point Mm -hmm. of view and we also have her like like even the way that she cheated on Taniel to be able to, you know, that uh, screwed up their engagement and all that stuff. It's like, even the way Taniel thinks about it is like, oh, well, th- there was a Fatrostin, that's so hard to say, Fatrostin noble who, like, was, like, was a spy of the Kez and they made him go there and seduce her. So it's not even her fault, really. It's like that kind of strips her of her agency as well. Like, <laughs> right. You know, she right. could it's just a, like women have the power. Of it. She couldn't yeah, even like, like cheat on her fiance like, on her own. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like she can't even be. Uh, have the agency to be responsible for her own infidelity. It has to be a plot so, by the Kez. By a man. <laughs> by a yeah. man. Like, so there's a little of that. I mean, it's not it's not egregious in the ways that we've seen from other books or books in the past, but it's like a pattern I kind of noticed. I think it could kind of, this could have used a more fleshed out female point of view and having someone like Vora who does have powder mage abilities and could be a complex interesting character with their own point of view that gets fleshed out and plays a pivotal role in all of this like all of that could have been possible here so i think that's that's one aspect of a like what i think is a fantastic book in a great series it's one aspect that i think could probably have used a little bit more fleshing out more uh improvement but either way um yeah, we do. I, I do like uh, Kapol. Uh, I, I yeah. think she's interesting. Although Until she starts talk. getting like flirty with, with Daniel. But I mean, even that's <laughs> interesting. But <laughs> yeah, there's a little like, did we need that aspect of it? Like their relationship was kind of more interesting when it was like, Daniel Platonic. doesn't even think about that <laughs> because it, she is a kid. And then it's like toward the like, toward the end of the book it's just like actually she's 19 and then he's like "Ooh, didn't know that and it's like right, that's kind of creepy <laughs> like that that all it takes for someone that you viewed as like a child all of a sudden it's like oh actually she is an adult then it's like ah i'm down 
Like, that's a little, like, that, that happened pretty quick there, Daniel. Although I will that say for Daniel's sake, like, uh, he is like, ooh, like, this is, I don't like that this is the way my thoughts are going. So I'll give him a little credit. To, his, to his credit, like. yes. He, he is trying to fight it, and it, and it's becoming more difficult, especially as <laughs> Carpole, um is more obvious well, not obvious but you know she's definitely starting to flirt a little bit more imply her feelings more and and this and that so um no i i do like the relationship and it, it adds to this like this level of she's like oh she's a savage you know that that <laughs> this idea that there's what would all of this that's basically like Tan- all of Daniel's thoughts are just like, "Ooh, this will really upset my daddy." Yeah. <laughs> that and also, I don't know. It, it goes back to a part of this book that is about just these these social uh, disparities and caste systems and and this and that. Even when it comes to like the privileged versus the powder mages, you know, like they're at odds and they're at different caste systems in society. And powder mages are considered like uh, unrefined and just kind of brutish, and the privileged are considered kind of snobby and and upper crust. So then you've got savages and act and then all that, and then you have. Um, Oh God! What are they called? The like Frankenstein monster-looking things? Um, wardens, I believe. Wardens, yeah. yeah. You got the wardens, or even lower than that. So you know, it, it's although it's the int- privileged, like at least uh, Nicholas, or I think that was his name, right? Uh, he is like, oh yeah, I still view wardens as above powder mages. <laughs> Like, yeah. they like deform monsters and he's like oh yeah literally like. abominations to yeah <laughs> to society to, to, to life yeah no but it kind of plays a part in that where it's like oh love is finding a way you know uh um kind of like uh it reminds me of those stories where like a uh soldier finds like a um, indigenous person and they fall in love you know it, it kind of gives me those kind of vibes where you're like oh okay it's it's supposed to be hopeful but it's also still kind of like uncomfortable at the same time you know it, i don't know so we'll we'll see it's how that really got the element goes. of like he like saved her yes and now she's like feels like she owes him at least like protection and the sense of protecting him with her sorcery which is which is one of the cool aspects of watching that unfold right um, like there's more like than she lets on in terms of her power yeah couples the character it's great we don't have a point of view of even though you know yes. saying oh i want more female point of views it's like couple's interesting because of the mystery of like what she's thinking what she's always doing like what exactly her powers are capable of Mm. and there's a lot of intrigue around her in that way and i yeah i liked it when she's just like in his eyes she's like this kid who he's going around protect like it's almost like the mandalorian and uh baby yoda like uh, you know (laughs) that's like i'm just protecting this uh this little fella it's like who's but, protecting and I, I who? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, then it is like who's protecting who? Because in her mind, and probably more accurately, it is 
like she's way more powerful and she's the one that julene who's a pretty is like whoa 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 I, we don't <laughs> like we don't have to get her involved like i can just right. leave because like, from Taniel's point of view it's nice to see that he's like charging or that was sorry sorry that was rosalia not julene who did that if i remember correctly but anyway sorry go on right but but i, I was just mentioning it's like when you're in Taniel's pov and you're committed to his point of view and he doesn't um, see Carpole as someone who's like powerful. He's just charging into battles, and it's a miracle he doesn't get killed. You know, it's like who who's setting these yeah. wards? You know, like you step through like six like a ton of wards that would have probably killed you. You know, and it's like I'm Daniel Tushar. What are you gonna say? And, <laughs> he's always one. He's got I'm this. Daniel Tushar. <laughs> he's trying to make it a thing. You know, <laughs> uh, but. That'd be more funny if it wasn't a thing and he was trying to be, yeah. make people call him that. But um, yeah, and I think that happened like when they're in the mountain and um, Borbador is like, someone's looking out for you, dude. Like there's these wards that have been like built or like disengaged or something like that. And, and you find out that like Carpole is, is able to do more than we kind of gave her credit for when you write her off as like, oh, this is the savage that I saved and she's loyal to me and doesn't talk. It's the perfect female companion. Shots <laughs> 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 oh, fired. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. <laughs> I don't think that's the perfect female companion. Yes, that is a stereotype. For sake, Charles that's is... a stereotype. Um, satirizing over there he's uh yes he's making uh one of those humor (laughs) jokes (laughs) yes yes exactly thank you he would like strong female characters with volition and ability to speak with lots of interesting things to say yes (laughs) yes when he Mm -hmm. says that the perfect female companion is not that jokes (laughs) Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, and there is the old sexist trope, you know, of you know, yeah. women talking, and it's annoying to men. So it's like you make your sidekick a character that literally can talk. Situation. It's funny. It's funny. Um, doesn't make it right. It makes it fun. Um, so we were talking about Daniel Two Shot. Uh, yes, and then uh, that you know we, what we didn't talk about so much. You know, we we touched on the kind of strange relationship with his father. At first, I thought it was going to annoy me that their names were so similar, but I actually had no problem switching after the first time. You know, I was like, oh man, there's going to be a Tannis and a Taniel, and I'm supposed to like know who's who. But there's a lot of floating around. Even in yeah. Adamant. Yeah. I was like, we couldn't have diversified the names a little bit more so that I could follow it better. But I never got the characters confused. They're, they're in such different story arcs and their voices and their their yeah. specialties are so unique that it was never a problem. And I was just kind of getting nervous at the beginning. But anyway, that goes to say their strained relationship and even the part where you kind of wonder sometimes why Tamis is is hard on Taniel and like, like prove your loyalty, go and kill your your best friend. You know, it was an interesting setup because his best friend is magically compelled to kill Tamis. You know, that is a thing. Yeah. 
and they do have like he's a commanding officer you know tamis is a commanding officer and Daniel's a soldier who has to dutifully follow orders that's how the army works um but then also just the fun saw that son father thing and you you Mm -hmm. want that to you know you want the love to come through and they just quite don't know how to make it work i I thought that was a really interesting um some some of the more interesting character work that we got in the story i don't know what your take on it was yeah definitely and you learn about taniel and how he thinks about things where when they're having that conversation about how he's supposed to kill privilege borbador uh, he's like well i wouldn't do this as like your son but i'll do it if you command me to do it mm-hmm. as like i wouldn't do it as your son daniel but i'll do it if you command me to do it as one of your powder mages and yeah tamis is just like yeah okay well then i command you to do it as one of my powder mages <laughs> like, <It's a> sweet. <laughs> like, like and that is kind of a distinction between those two characters in some ways where like Taniel sees thing as things as a little bit more i guess nebulous and like morally gray and like oh like uh, i don't know like what is right it's like i think tamas is like pretty much just like thinks what he thinks and that's the right thing and then we have to do it by any means necessary and he's not really going to get caught up on am i asking him this as my son or am i asking him this as my uh, like it doesn't matter he's just like he's just like, go kill him i don't care in what go. manner i have to ask i would to prefer that. it wasn't like, your best friend but it is <laughs> right. so we gotta kill him like let's go you know <laughs> yeah that, although it's yeah. interesting because he also like so Taniel doesn't kill Borbador, of course. Mm-hmm. And Taniel, I appreciate his self-awareness that he's just like, yeah, I just don't have the strength to kill my best friend that I grew up with. Like I thought I did. I came all the way here. I gave it a good try. made a big stink about it. But in the end, I just can't. And uh, he's like, I know that. So I'm going to come up with some excuse. And now I have a pretty valid excuse that we need him on our side because of other stuff that developed and how they end up fighting. Mm. So, uh, but Tomas kind of saw through that a little bit. Oh, I Tomas felt like it's right like, through. oh, he he did disobeyed a direct order. I'll have to do something about that. But also, he kind of wasn't wrong either. Just to add yeah. further strain and complexity to their relationship. Yeah, because it's interesting the dynamic that is added of him being uh, Tomas's son. I think he just kind of knew like uh like i kind of knew he didn't have the strength to do it and Mm -hmm. he's like yeah i can't really blame him because what he's doing makes sense but this is telling about like who tanya was and if it was tamas who got sent there by his dad to go do that you know he's finishing that job like yeah that's what he was finishing it beautifully yeah and getting all kinds of valor and recognition for it you know because that's just his style and yeah and you have Daniel who just like avoids his father and we don't get told too much about the 
the circumstances in with in which um Tomas's wife Daniel's mother died and it seems to think that there's some family drama and like you're kind of led to believe that there's more going on there than you get from Tomas's point of view because we know how he thinks he's like she died I'm mad like this is what we do but but it's like okay well they we hit throw that people there was into some... the ocean yeah, yeah that's exactly. a pretty awesome scene by the way. <laughs> yeah. like, that's a very good like character establishing scene because it's like uh, i don't know i always love proactive characters and yep. characters that can be also like rash and just do things that accelerate the story in a mm-hmm. way that's interesting mm-hmm. so when they yeah they just send over is he yeah duke nick nikoslaus i can't say that it's a n-i-k-s-l-a-u-s i don't know do that nikoslaus nikoslaus i'm trying to because i listened to the audiobook so i'm trying to remember (laughs) yeah either way uh, he shows up he's the one who personally uh, was responsible for tamas's wife getting executed Tamas just sees him and he just chucks him into the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he's supposed to treat with this guy, they have like, you know, the royal heir hostage and, you know, they prevent, they present a pretty formidable force. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I should provide that context. This is like a peace negotiation. Tamas knows that that was the wrong thing to do, but he does it anyway. He's like, what am I supposed to look this guy in the face? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm chucking him into the ocean. And it is a, it's interesting. So eventually. He kill him. Was, like, he's got a little wet. Well, the eventually. <laughs> he cuts <laughs> off his freaking, like, well, privileged hands. And he's like, yeah, he's like now moment. you know what it's like to be rendered powerless. <laughs> like, that was pretty right. Because he got right. like, captured and they, like, and- put gold into his body. And he was Tamas, that is. And Tamas yeah, was unable to yeah to use his powder mage uh powers for a bit which is cool from like an identity perspective when it's like that's the number one thing you identify as as a powder mage and then it's like now you're not and then right. yeah he's like ah he, he gets his vengeance when he yeah he's like him. i'm not done with him right yet <laughs> <laughs> you know and you're like oh god but uh yeah, yeah that that was a pretty it was a pretty fun scene too like when he goes to the hunt and then gets captured and um escapes that's all some pretty exciting some exciting stuff and we learn about gold i was kind of like okay so gold cancels out powder mage magic eventually it gets to the point where like there's so much stuff in here like it seems (laughs) a bit arbitrary that gold cancels out powder mage abilities but i'm like okay let's roll with it i think it's just something that like if sanderson were writing this he would have ensured that was well established before tamas got captured and then you'd be like oh no not gold i know because sanderson very clearly like educated me on all the intricacies of this thing (laughs) i very clearly know that gold is not to be used or like you would have encountered some character who was like i used to be a powder mage and then they they put gold in my eye I have a golden eye now, and now I can't be a powder mage, and I can't really see either. <laughs> it, was, it was not Sorry. a good decision. And you'd be like, okay, I know gold will probably come back and play a role in robbing someone of powder mage uh, 
Powder Mage powers. So it would be nice to, you know, in some way be told that beforehand. But it's also like, ah, it's not a big deal. Like, I, It's not a big deal at all. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, you include it because a lot of times these hard magic systems have checks and balances. And so, oh, this one is gold. And you're like, okay, okay. Uh, I guess gold is the opposite of black powder. Powder? Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's an opposite thing. Well, you know, because like Mistborn, they have like the opposite metals. You know, it's like pewter and silver. And one is the push and one's the pull. And, and then depending on how you burn it, you know, like that kind of stuff. You kind of get a little bit of that ideology in this magic system but um it's not like a critical component and i don't think it's one that's even necessary he's got so many interesting things going on without it anyway it's all we need to be told so i can appreciate it from that standpoint but it does get to be a little bit of like now we're just throwing stuff at the wall a little bit here is kind of the vibe and i know he's plotted it out and we'll get more of it and this and that but it it just felt a little bit like uh magic system spaghetti <laughs> like just like all it's like <laughs> oh there's hard magic and soft magic and necks and 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 rules and counters and cancellations and and gods and and oh boy, is a lot of very ambitious in its in its work. He Brian McClellan set out to do everything. Yeah, and what's kind of interesting about it when you think about how he was Brandon Sanderson's student mm-hmm. is so Sanderson has those rules of magic, and uh, it's basically outlining how to how to deal with hard magic systems, soft magic systems how to best implement magic as a, an aspect of storytelling and fantasy. Mm-hmm. And one of them is essentially depth over breadth. So like you'd rather go deep into one thing like uh, than start establishing a bunch of new magic systems. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and of course, Sanderson, Sanderson kind of in each book in the first Mistborn era, spotlights a particular magic system with that book and gives you a lot more depth into that Mm -hmm. and then like because there are like three alamancy hemallergy and you know some other one (laughs) and the big three yeah Yeah, the big uh, three (laughs) yeah so either way in in this one it does feel like uh, mcclellan is super ambitious and being like there's three magic systems and I'm just like throwing you into a lot of the intricacies of all of them at once in the course of one book. Um, of course, the privileged stuff, it, or there's really four magic systems, I guess. Um, and uh, you get probably the most depth with Powder Mage stuff, but you're trying to track all of these things at once. Like knacks are pretty easy, but they are their own separate magic system. It's just like you can do one thing really like out of the ordinary basically like olam not being not having to sleep or adamant remembering everything Mm -hmm. um you've got powder mages and we know all that and then we've got privileged and the soft magic system nature of it makes it so there's not too much depth but you still have to 
will be like, okay, they've got these gloves. Like, I guess if you take off his hands, he can't do that anymore. And <laughs> like, you know, and if we have our fourth magic system interact with it, which is basically cop holes, uh, um, they call her a, it's like a bone eye. Hey, oh like yeah, that's yeah. its whole separate thing, and she's got like these uh, voodoo doll type things going for her, and also she can alter, like interact with the powder mages by altering their bullets in a way <laughs> where those can kill privilege. It's like, okay, we're like we're being thrown in the deep end here, like in a bunch of different magic systems, and I, I will give Brian McClellan credit that he uh, he's able to balance all those in a way where we're never like lost and unable to follow what's happening and at times yeah do we need just a random like oh and uh gold gold makes powder mage powers go away all right go like gold sure and uh voodoo dolls and uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's it, it's ambitious and i respect it you know and it, and and it is you you follow it and you're entertained by it and at the end of the day that's like the biggest strength and what you should have to do with your story anyway and so the fact that he never loses sight of that you know sometimes with more like amateur fantasy stories you get people that are so excited about this world that they've built that they just start telling you about it and the story kind of dissolves and that's not the case in this at all you know it's just as much in terms of all the ideas that he's brought to the table and all the different magic systems. Like if someone told you like, Oh, I made a story that has, that has wizards and it has like gunslingers and it has voodoo dolls. And you'd be like, yeah. okay, buddy, maybe, you know, edit yourself a little bit for the yeah. sake of the story. But um, he, he does, it, it can be overwhelming at times, but he does deliver on the story. So overall, like you gotta give him mad props for that. I totally agree, Charles. Especially as a debut. Yeah, especially as a debut. That's a great point that I think he he never really world builds for world building's sake. And I guess part of how he accomplishes that is how little the characters know about certain aspects of the world where like Adamat especially, like his character's purpose is to discover all these things that are either lost knowledge or people uh, like people never knew or whatever and him finding those answers is actually fulfillment of some of what is going on with his plot so it doesn't feel like it's like oh and now we're just giving exposition and world building for its own sake it's like oh now adam has finally discovered what he's been trying to figure out forever about what cresomir's promise is and he already <laughs> went on that sort of dead end with the gang and all that kind of stuff so we're like all right that feels like a part of the plot even though it's it is just like someone telling you world building <laughs> things uh, i credit uh, I credit how Brian McClellan's able to do that so seamlessly. I'll also say, Charles, we're we're over an hour in, I think, here, mm-hmm. and I don't want to do our fourth POV dirty over here. No. Okay? No. Nyla <laughs> deserves to be discussed. I, to be honest, I enjoyed the Nyla chapters when we got them. I kind of remember feeling at the end like, oh, I, I wish this had more 
impact to the story than it ultimately yeah. did. And I wish we got a little bit more of it. And I'm sure that this is going to expand. But where this ultimately resolved was, oh, the kid's still alive and you're going to like be his nanny and we're leaving now and we're mm-hmm. going away from all this. And you're like, oh, OK, well, that's kind of where we were at the beginning of this. I don't know why we you know, <laughs> went through all this stuff. But like there were times when she was almost going to kill tennis and all these other things. It's like particularly exciting because she's so overlooked by everybody and she's not magical yeah. and she has no abilities or, you know, nothing. So it was really interesting in a book so chock full of a million different magic systems to have a POV character who has none of that, holds no political influence, has no abilities, is not a knack, is nothing, and is still making her mark in the story was interesting to me. And I guess leaving me wanting more is never a bad thing, but I also kind of felt like, why did we bother? Other than to say that this princeling is alive. <laughs> like, like that's kind of the only thing that seemed to matter is that there's an heir that's still alive. And what that might mean to Cressemere's promise and to uh, anything else like future civil wars and, and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. Kind that's of undercut well said, for Charles. Me. Yeah, she's not a bad character by any means. And she... I, I like what you're getting into about the idea that uh, in this world full of magic and danger and all stuff, she's just a laundress. But in that way, <laughs> she had a legitimate shot, I guess, at some point of killing Tamas or something, or at least was plotting <laughs> to do that. That's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. And it's because and her stakes she's were so super overlooked. high because she's in fear of getting like basically deported or kicked out let alone arrested or killed no anything could happen to her she's not critical to the story so you're like right "Mm." well like she's playing at a smaller level like the stakes are smaller but anything's possible and it was exciting yeah i think this is one of the reasons why i pitched the whole series instead of just the the Mm. single book because there are threads like this that some books, like I would say, let's say Mistborn, because we're talking so much Sanderson, Mistborn, The Final Empire is always a book I like to give as an example of a book that's very clearly the first of a trilogy. But also if you just read that book, like everything was in there for a purpose and received some sort of uh like resolution that would be satisfying enough if you had to never read the rest of the books you'd be like i read a full story like (laughs) this i would not say like is that as i mentioned earlier and part of it is like if this was a standalone book you would be like why does nyla exist (laughs) at all in this story like she (laughs) does not impact the plot really at all that i can think of in this Mm. book i mean we all know that she saved the very talented she saved the prince but the prince didn't do anything in the story either no (laughs) no yeah which is the prince was yeah briefly this whole thing with the royalists 
And they were trying to protect the prince. I actually like that part because they build up this whole like, oh, yeah, like this royalist general, like he's just as good as Tamas, but he's he's got different values and Tamas really respects him. And they just gets like blown up <laughs> and dies. Yeah. And I was like, uh, that was a moment. I remember when I was first reading the book, I was like, oh, yeah, like this is pretty awesome. Like <laughs> yeah, and right. I think I mentioned in my pitch to you, I was like, yeah, there's plot points that seem like they're setting up in this book that then like you're like oh there's gonna be the whole book dealing with this guy and then it's just like uh, they'll just get resolved and that's what's (laughs) cool about the the pacing of the book is just like you don't know what's gonna happen you think it's going one way you're like oh no just dead whatever forget that guy like we build him (laughs) up but uh, it was pretty cool in the like chaos of war and everything that's going on to have this character it seems like a main adversary up to tamas's level is just like nope dead see ya so <laughs> i did like yeah that, i appreciate but... and it's like you know it's one thing to execute a coup it's another thing to hold the city right and we've read books that were dedicated to holding a captured city you know i i think of um uh, da, 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 uh joe abercrombie I think of Game of Thrones, you know, where it's like how many times it was like, oh, it's easy to capture a thing when it's hard to hold it. (laughs) And it's like, well, that was toyed with in this, but um, overlooked for other things. And that was a fun part about it. I was kind of surprised, too. It's like, wow, we're we're building this character up and then anything could happen to anybody at any time. You know, same thing happened. Tamis was captured and all these people were killed in the process. And his, like, bodyguard friend just got randomly shot at the end. Remember? (laughs) Like, mid-sentence, the guy gets shot and killed and you're like, whoa. Like, not um... even, like, a noteworthy death, you know? He's just went from being a main character in the, like, Tamis chapters to being gone mid-sentence you know he he yeah, is able to incorporate mages, this like one of the, the one who was like i should always survived. be with you i'm gonna protect you that's <laughs> uh yeah so it's it's definitely high stakes it's a lot of action i mean oh, it's yeah. a lot of politicking and all kind of stuff but we get a lot of battle scenes we get privileged and powder mages getting attacked by magical cave lions and oh, yeah. Uh, yeah i mean there's there's a lot to love for that aspect of it it's a it's a unique book it sets a stage for a lot more to go on here uh, we all know Brian McClellan's a very talented author. I promise you that he didn't write Nyla for absolutely zero reason. Uh, so you know, he's well, we'll just he's have got to... my trust. You know, I I am fully confident that he's got things in the works for all of this. And um, I could tell from his writing style and just knowing that he was brought up in the school of Sanderson that it's like, okay, there are setups happening. There's bigger things afoot i did get mistborn vibes when we got to the end with some of these like god characters and things i don't want to spoil mistborn but um i was like oh interesting um how that kind of plays out it's it's kind of an interesting response to how some of the books in in those mistborn books end too so curious to see where that goes and i'm excited to just you know dive right into the next one these books were very fun um a lot of original ideas and original uses of classic tropes 
which I fully enjoyed. You know, there's a lot of tropes that I love in fantasy. So it was nice to see them presented in a in a new way. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. Uh, should we briefly discuss the the end? Just that they've been they're trying to summon Kresimir like this whole mm-hmm. time. And then they summon Kresimir. Then Daniel just shoots him twice in the face and in the <laughs> eye and stuff. Yeah, it's we do. I I love that moment when it first happens, and then there's a little bit in that blog about like, oh no, like you can't you can't just kill a god like that, which is fair, but it is kind of cool in the moment. Which is like, oh, <laughs> I do crap. like the idea just, like, of just shoot like the shoot the god in the face, yeah, and then it yeah. works, and you're like, oh, cool. reminds me of um i think it was this is gonna be very random it reminded me of scary movie three where the aliens (laughs) are invading and the the third of the scary because there's a joke in it where the aliens are invading and the guy has a shovel and just hits it in the head and the head flies off and it dies and he's like without their heads they're powerless <laughs> oh, which, which is like a joke that's just always stuck with me. So it's like, oh yeah, when you shoot him in the face, he dies. It's like it's very effective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Without his brain, he's powerless. <laughs> when you shoot him through the eye. Without the an brain. unshot head, he's powerless. Yeah. <laughs> so uh Although, yeah, that's was... not the case when it comes to Cressamir, apparently, because we're told in the just... epilogue that get some recovery Can't time but he'll have to just how many times do we have to teach you this lesson old man you know we're coming <laughs> yeah back just shoot you. him again <laughs> <laughs> just it's shoot a, him again it's, yeah that is something funny, like, well, just the setup again. is great because it's like it's like he came down toward the earth and he was the most beautiful it's like you looking at ashton kutcher it's like oh, the most beautiful <laughs> man i have ever seen like and then he just <laughs> shoots him through the eye <laughs> Uh, and that just stops the whole procession like yeah it stops yeah. the whole ceremony <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's pretty great yeah it, it's effective for sure so yeah i'm really you know that it's that kind of energy and mentality that this series brings where it's like we have the like fancy magic but a lot of this is like gunpowder snorting like maniacs too <laughs> so like just the the mix is is really exciting and uh i'm curious to see where it goes from here i know that um he's written like a bunch yeah. of novellas in this world so it seems like there's a lot more than meets the eye yeah. sorry Cressamir, mm. for that a bit of an insensitivity um yeah. but um but yeah, it seems like there's a lot more going on here. There's a big world brewing, and we've only just gotten a taste of it. So I'm excited mm. to excited to uh, see where it goes. I'm excited to see where it goes to Charles. But we'll just have to wait until you and I read the Crimson Campaign and then return here to discuss. But in the meantime, we've got Gideon the Ninth. That yeah. we're reading right now that'll be coming up and yeah yeah a whole lot of more fun episodes coming your way so many fun episodes podcast however the fun is done for today I, i'm gonna be honest with these people yeah yep. like that's 
that last Ashton Kutcher joke is is all I have left in me. That and that was I it, think... you know the the way you weaved it, Ashton <laughs> yeah. Kutcher and the cooking and the, the gun shooting, yeah. the eye joke, scary movie three. Like we've done it all. There's nothing left. Nothing but that's left to it. say. I, I mean, I guess I guess I would say you know Brian McClellan has a great podcast that you should check out. He interviews a lot of great authors. Uh, uh, Page Break. Um, so yes. recommend recommend checking that out as well. So um, when you, when you're done listening to all of our episodes, of course, which you're caught up now, so you can go listen. But um, yeah, definitely check it out. And uh, Dylan, I think with that being said, there's nothing left to do but play that sweet sweet outro music. What do you say? I say let's get that sweet sweet outro music pumping, Charles. All righty. Thank you all, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, reach out to us over on the socials. Give us a like, send us a message. That's at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with a number one at the end on Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show, even more than following us over on the socials what can they do toss five stars to our podcast which you can do over on spotify it's just two clicks at the top of the friends talking fancy podcast feed and it helps us so much when you do that you can also rate and review on apple Podcasts. when i say review that means you can write nice things about us in alongside your five-star rating and whenever you do that that puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing that just listening guys thank you all so much for being here we greatly appreciate it you guys are awesome thank you thank you thank you and as always go forth and conquer friends <laughs>